Ooh. Mm-hmm. 
Father, we thank you, Lord, for the great work, great things that you've done for us. Yes. Don't deserve any of them. We're thankful, Lord, this morning that we're able to be sitting here or standing here to worship you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to learn something again, Lord, from your word as this preach, Lord. We pray, especially, Lord, for Bobby. We pray, Lord, that you would be with him. The doctors, the treatments that he's getting, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would give him strength, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's turn to Psalm 450. We're stuck in the 400s. And uh, I'm lazy to turn pages when I was picking out the songs. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? The same chord again, same keys. On four flat. There will never be a sweet
yesterday, I just saw it on Friday, big parade going on, and uh, of course, I look at that and I'm thinking, well, the world makes things that are wrong right, the world makes things that are evil right, and they flip it around, and so in the bulletin you have a statement about that, a good scripture, but uh, the world is not afraid to tell you what they think, what they feel, no matter how wrong it is, and there's a tendency for the Christian to feel kind of intimidated. Let me just say this. When these things happen, why don't you just make up your mind to not be intimidated, to not say anything about your Lord. Right. Be brave for your, for your Lord. I mean, these guys are brave for a wicked cause, perverted cause, and yet uh, Christians are buffaloed into thinking, oh, I better not say anything because people might get mad at me. There's a, there's a common sense about all that, I understand, but you have an opportunity, and I do too, to be a little bit more bold for Christ, and so take advantage of that. Pray for Brother Bobby. He went to ER last night, and uh, so far, what I know is uh, he is doing better. He had shortness of breath, seriously. And then uh, he has a procedure coming up on Friday. It's uh, his pacemaker is not working, and so there's a device that the surgeon who put in the pacemaker says, "I can do this for you. Not so invasive, and it'll help you help your heart." And so that's due on Friday. But he went into the ER, and so I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but. Uh, let's pray that uh, he'll be okay and that he can continue to have the procedure. There's another technical issue that he's working on, and uh, we're hoping that it'll be done before his procedure. And so pray for Brother Bobby. Uh, he has not been in church way before COVID. And uh, some of you folks know him, and uh, he, he loves the church. And as a matter of fact, uh, let, me, let me make a point to you about something about the character of Bobby. Bobby will call me once in a while, every two weeks actually, and I thought I had it with me. I wanted to make an object lesson, but he he rolls up in an envelope. He rolls it up. He'll call me. He says, Pastor, come by. I have my, my tithe. What? Bobby's on a fixed income. Bobby's been like that for many decades. And he'll always call and say, can you come by and pick it up? I feel like saying to him, no, Bobby, keep it. You need it more than anybody else. But he always does that. And uh, he's just a blessing. Amen. And so the last thing he gave to me was uh, on uh, Thursday, he had rolled it up like a cigar, <laughs> like cigarette. <laughs> All wrinkled and crumpled, you know. And I didn't look and say, I never do. But he says, here, please put that to the church, which I always do. But anyway, I think it's in a bag ready, Joan, bring it back. But uh, that's to show his his love for the church, his character, and so on. But keep praying for him. 
Uh, he sees himself going home to be with the Lord very soon. And uh, uh, he's already got preparations over at Middle Lawn Mortuary. Been done, done that for months now. And uh, his aunt has all the paperwork. So it's all good to go whenever he's ready to go. And he's ready to go. He knows the Lord. And uh, he's ready to go, but he doesn't want to go yet. Understandably. So pray for him. Pray for Bobby. Francis leaves on Wednesday, uh, early morning. So you're not getting a ride from me. Four o'clock in the morning, no sir. You're on your own. Gonna go pick up uh, your wife. She's been gone for a few weeks and come back together sometime early November. And uh, uh, Keithan is over in San Diego. He's attending a graduation of his brother who graduated boot camp in San Diego. Uh, is it, um, what's that big base there? Pendleton? Pendleton. Pendleton. Former Marine, right? You yeah, should know. But, uh, the graduation is in San Diego. In San Diego, right. So I was sort of correcting. Okay, good. So he's there for that, coming back tomorrow. And then, uh, let's see. Yeah, we got to have the Kozlowski family back after their two-week trip to Texas. The boys are cowboys now. <laughs> they got cowboy hats and cowboy boots, real ones. Right. They look pretty cool. And uh, yeah, good to have them back. All right. Uh, that's about the announcements. We're happy to have folks visiting from Michigan. Southern Michigan, I suppose. Is that correct? Would that be right for Southern Michigan? No, you're not in the UP, so you're Southern Michigan. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we're glad to have visiting today. And then Diamond Head after this. You like that one for sure. Take your Bibles, please, to the book of Job, chapter 14. Job, chapter 14. Did you hear about the grandpa who took his grandson to the state fair somewhere in Iowa or some Midwestern state? I'll tell it to you. It's a good story. It makes a good point. He took his grand, uh, grandson to the uh, state fair, and as they came into the state fair, there's a vendor who's selling all these helium-filled balloons of all different colors. So he buys his grandson a string full of balloons. So the boy's carrying the balloons like this, holding his grandpa's hand. He's maybe five or six years old. They walk along, and then the boy gets distracted, so he lets go of the string of balloons. And they separate, and they all go in different directions. They're all rising up. There's a red one, a green one, a black one, a blue one, a white one, or a lavender one. They're all going up in the sky. They're watching the balloons rise up into the sky. He looks up, he says, Grandpa, look. Grandpa, look. Look at what? Look at the balloon. And he sees one going higher than another. He says, look at that white balloon way up there. It's going way high, higher than the black one, higher than the blue one. You know what the grandpa says to him? Grandpa's a wise old grandpa. He teaches him a lesson right there. He says, son, it's not the color of the balloon that matters. It's what's on the inside that matters. It's what's on the inside that makes it rise. Now, do you see a lesson there? With so much, so much fuss about racial things nowadays, you know, we had a president say, I'm gonna heal the country and all this dividing about racist. He made it even worse. It's not about the outside that matters. It's about the inside that matters, don't you think? Right. If you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, it's real. So it's not the outside. It's the inside that counts. In Job chapter 14, verse number 14, it says this. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. I'm going to wait till my change comes. Now, my point today is simply this. Don't wait until... You die until the rapture before you start changing. Don't wait till then. It could happen any time. The rapture could happen any moment. We call it the imminent return of Christ. And that is true. 
I thought the Lord was going to come back back in 1971. I got saved in 1970. I thought 1971 is going to come back. He didn't come back. All during the early 70s, we had people talk about prophecy and all these signs in the sky and planets lining up. And then everybody's talking about, even unsafe people talking about something's going to happen. You can see by looking up in the sky, in the heavens. Well, the Lord didn't come back. Then people made predictions about the Lord coming back. 1989, 1988, 88 reasons why Christ didn't come back in 1988. All these predictions never came true. Well, that'll never stop from happening. But the thing is, you don't want to wait until the Lord comes back before you start changing. Right. Now, I want to tell you today, you and I don't have to wait until the Lord comes back before we start changing. Now, let me give you some reasons why we can change and how we can change. All right. It's a practical message today. Nothing really deep theologically. But uh, I want to help by telling you, you can change. And there's seven things I want to give to you about changing about real change, and I'll begin the most important thing as to how we can change. Let's begin at the top. Usually we begin at the, the least important down to the most important at the end to conclude, you know, to, but I'm gonna start the beating. The first way in which you and I can really change is it'll happen if the Lord is involved. You can really change if the Lord is involved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17, the Bible tells us, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's where it all starts, by being saved, first of all. Real change happens when you really, really change on the inside. When Christ comes in, you receive him by faith, and he's in you now, the Holy Spirit's in you, and you begin to change from the inside. That's the first step. Number one, real change happens when you are involved in the Lord, when you get saved. You can, you can change by doing some things, but it's not lasting, it's not permanent. You must have Christ in your life to change first. You must be born again. And so the real possibility of change is very positive. And uh, I assume that because if a person comes to Christ, God will change him. I assume that is true because I've seen it happen. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. I've seen it in uh, real life testimonies. I've seen it in the Bible where people, when they come to Christ, they change. They couldn't change otherwise, but with the Lord in them, they change. I'm thinking about a man who was crazy. He wasn't crazy because he was on drugs. He was crazy because something else was in him. Demons was in him. And he changed from being a crazy man living in the graveyards, crying at night, screaming like, like a wild animal, uh, supernatural strength, supernatural power, and no one could control him until the Lord came and, and dealt with him. And then the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 5, verse number 15, that he is sitting, he is clothed, and in his right mind. That's a dramatic change. All the psychiatrists and psychologists and the professionals could not deal with him. People talk so much nowadays about problems with street people, homeless people, that they have uh, these emotional, mental problems, psychological problems. Maybe so. I think something is wrong with someone who likes to live on a sidewalk. I think something's wrong with a person like that. I'm not going to say I know what the problem is, but I say, I say something is wrong when you drive by and they're piled up on a sidewalk blocking your access and they've stolen cars, they've stolen goods, and they're there and they think that they have a right to be there with the stolen goods. They should not be arrested. Something's wrong with that kind of thinking. Whatever the cause is, something's wrong with that. You and I can't do that. I uh, went to Home Depot a lot this week. My wife. <laughs> She's got so many things going on. We buy these things on Facebook Marketplace, and I'm going to sand it down, resurface, resurface, all these kind of things. And it all seems so reasonable, you know, and the price all seems so good. But I end up picking it up and working on these things. It's, it's fun when it's done, but it's not fun doing it. I gotta get sanding paper and this and that. I gotta get. Uh, it's just a real humbug to go around doing these kind of things. 
But what can I say? She's my wife. She's my burden. <laughs> she's, she's my Eve, and it's because of Eve I get to do these things. Why are you looking at me like that's mean? That's not mean. I'm just, just trying to tell you that. And uh, so I do all these things for her, and then, uh, oh, it's such a pain in the neck. But she's so pleased by that. Now, we transform junk into something a little bit more presentable. Most of our furniture in our house is like that. Uh, we have a few new things I've bought over the years in 46 years. I bought her a couple of new things. <laughs> a couple of new things. Uh, she deserved it, you know. <laughs> so uh, I, I owe her. I do owe her. And so we transform some of these things. We make something junk into something good. You know what the Lord does? That he does something even more better than that. He changes you. Changes your standing before God the Father to someone who's accepted into the Beloved. He changes you from going to hell to heaven. He changes you now and in eternity. But let's not wait until then before we start changing. But I'm saying the beginning, like that demonic and the gatherings that got changed because of Jesus Christ, he can change us too. That's where it all starts. That's where real change happens. You can try to change by stopping certain things or doing good things, but it'll, you soon give up on that. You have no inner strength to do that. You must have Christ living in you to give you that strength to do what you ought to do. Uh, all things are become new. So that is the progressive part of that verse, I believe, where, where you get saved and uh, you're new in Christ. Everything is new. But now you still live on earth, thankfully, and you get to walk now and you get to grow. You get to progress as a believer. You get to learn some self. All these kind of things happen after you get saved. And that's all part of the growth process where you begin to change and change and change and change. You get to mature more. It's a daily progressive change. It all begins there. So make sure that you know Christ your Savior, first of all. Uh, talked to someone not long ago. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was Saturday because I was picking up a piece of furniture for my wife. Right here on Coquille Street off of, off of King Street, Joan. And so Filipino family, real nice people. And I'm checking out the stuff and finally take to the car. And uh, I, said, I said, yeah, my wife wanted me to get this. I'm getting for her. And so we hope to transform this into something really... I didn't want to say really nice because you know I don't want to make them feel bad, but she has a project that I'm working on. And uh, so I gave her a track and uh, I said, I want to give you something from our church. She said, oh, what is this? I said, well, it's, this is uh, about how to be born again, how to be saved. Well, what church is this? Pointing to the back, show the name. She said, oh, we go to church. And I said, well, what church do you go to? She said, we go to, uh, couldn't think of the name. Uh, my husband knows. Well, how long have you been going? Oh, all of my life. Okay. Okay. She's from the Philippines. All of her life, she's been going to put, she was, I was born into this religion. I said, let me ask this question. If you were to stand before God right now, as a hypothetical, let's think about this kind of thing. If you stood before God right now and He asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer? You know what she told me? Um, uh, let me ask my husband. I said, how long have you been going to this church? All of my life. And how long have you been in Hawaii? Seven years. And you go, and she still goes to a uh, reciprocal uh, in this uh, system, uh, Ignatian de Cristo. Mostly familiar with that. Very big, powerful group. She goes to one in Kali. Oh, let me ask my husband. The husband come, I talk with him. I said, I was talking to your wife. And uh, I asked her a question, and she said, uh, let me call my husband, so here you are. So I asked you the same question. And he says, he's a very sincere guy, very honest guy, very, very. Uh, um, well, let me go ask the elders at the church. I said, 
let me get this right. I asked you, if you stood before God, and God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? You're gonna tell him, let me go ask my elders? I said, that doesn't make much sense, does it? And I wasn't trying to be ugly with him, but I was trying to be clear with him. How can a simple question like that not have a simple answer? I don't know, I'm not sure, or I hope so, or I, because I've been baptized, I've been, all these kind of things. And so they couldn't tell. He again said, he repeated what she said. Well, you know, if you come, if you come on Tuesday, you can talk to one of the elders at the church. I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because I disagree with the elders of your church. I said, I received a pamphlet from them decades ago. I said, I know what you believe. I know what you stand for. I know what you teach needs of salvation. I'm just simply asking this question to help you to see that your religion cannot save you. So when you become new in Christ, you're, you're saved, you get saved. You know you're going to heaven, but now you begin to progress as a, as a Christian in this walk. And so change begins immediately when you get saved before God. But on earth, you got to keep on growing. You got to keep on growing. You're going to change like that. You're going to change. It begins like number two. The second thing about real change, it happens when you apply God's truth. Real change happens when you apply God's truth. Number one, real change happens when the Lord is involved, gets saved. The second way I see how you can change for real is when you apply God's truth. So uh, let, me, let me give you three verses. I'll just quote them to you. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Okay. Second verse, Proverbs 2, 2. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Okay. I got that one. Hear the word of God, hear the truth, hear wisdom, and then apply your heart to what you hear. And then Proverbs 23, 12 says this, apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. So apply, apply. Do something with what you hear. Know what the Bible says and then do what the Bible says. Second Peter 1, 3 is a good, one of my favorite verses. Second Peter 1, 3 tells us this, according as the divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, that through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory. In other words, when I know Christ, when I know the Lord, when I know the Bible, I have all things that pertain to life. I would say to my life and to life in general. But specifically, you have the information that you need, the truth that you need in the Bible about your life. My life, your life is so much better we change so much and so so in such a right way for the right reason and in the right direction because you know what the Bible says and we do what it says. And so real change happens and we know God's truth and we apply God's truth. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it tells us about the Old Testament. The Corinthians were told this by the Apostle Paul. The, the things that happened to the Old Testament Jew happened for our admonition and they are there for our examples. So we look at the Old Testament and we see ourselves. This morning we went to Exodus 17 and we learn about ourselves as murmuring people, as fussy people, as, as ungrateful people, the whole thing. We see ourselves in the Old Testament as it is supposed to be. That's the intent of it. The history teaches us something about the New Testament church and the New Testament Christian. And so uh, Paul told the Corinthians, there's nothing new under the sun. What happened there happens today. There's nothing new under the sun. The problems that they had back then will have problems today. The solutions to their problems back then are the solutions that we'll have today too. There's nothing new under the sun. And so there's no surprises with God, no surprises about what the solutions are. Uh, problems will be exposed, and then the answers, the solutions will be discovered in the Bible. 
And so change comes when you know the truth and the truth is practiced. You know why some people never change? They don't bother to go to the truth. They go to everybody else. They go to every other voice, their hairdresser. They go to the bar, listen to the bartender, and he has all the answers, she has all the answers. I was talking to a bartender one time, not while I was in the bar. <laughs> she said, I said, well, how do you keep track of all the drink to mix? She said, oh, you, you get used to it. I said, I bet people tell you all their problems. She says, all the time. What do you tell them? I tell them what I think. And surprisingly, people do what the bartender thinks, as if that's authoritative. I would say, ladies and gentlemen, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. That's the wrong source of truth. The truth comes from God's word and it applies to our lives. And so Proverbs, uh, nah, I'll go to Proverbs now. Number three. So on that one, God's truth applied will help you to have real change. Number three, honesty. Honesty. You gotta be honest if you're gonna have change. If you lie to yourself, you dodge the truth, you cannot really change. You're avoiding the issue. Um, over in, I had on my phone this morning, I was driving to church to get my phone, which you're not supposed to do. So let me just say it like this. I was driving to church and I did not look at my phone. Uh, San Francisco has a new law they're gonna pass. It's about owners and landlords. They have a lot of vacancies now because of homeless people and intimidating people. People don't go in those neighborhoods anymore. There's about 8,000 homeless in San Francisco, they say. A lot of people don't wanna live there. True. We understand why. People all around the sidewalks, blocking access and scaring people, scaring kids. Who wants to go around people like that? Really? And so they make neighbors uncomfortable and people are leaving it, a lot of vacancies. But now San Francisco is pressuring owners to, to fill the vacancies. They're saying, we're going to fine you so much every month if you don't fill the vacancies. Well, that's a stupid idea, really. They're not dealing with the problem. My point is, you have to deal with the problem if things are going to change. They're blaming the homeowners for having a vacant property. Well, why is it vacant? Well, anybody can see why it's vacant. Who wants to walk through and walk over people and they grab at you and grab at your kids and have drugs present all over? Who wants to be in a neighborhood like that? Nobody does. But no, the, the solution is we're going to fine you land homeowners so much, $2,500, $5,000, just because you leave it vacant. Wrong-headed answer, wrong-headed solution as politicians are want to do. The answer is to be honest. Honest. Uh, realize the problem and face up to the problem and don't dodge it. In John, 1 John 1, 9, it says this. If we confess our sins, wait a minute. Some people read it like this. If we confess their sins, it's easy for us to find out what's wrong with other people. You figure? Oh, it's so easy to say, well, he shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have done that. Oh, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe that politician. I can't believe their hypocrisy. We are so good at pointing out the faults of other people. That is for sure. It doesn't take, a, it doesn't take talent to do that. It just takes... You see it, but as you do that, and maybe rightfully point out the error, the wrongdoing of somebody, maybe it's actually true. But don't forget that you are also a failed human being, a flawed human being who has problems and failures and sin too. 
So he says, if we confess our sins, I see their responsibility. The political word is accountability. We're going to hold them accountable. Another word they use is, let me be clear. So let me be clear, and we're going to hold them accountable. Really? Well, that's a good word, accountable. Let's not forget that we are also accountable to God for our behavior and for our actions. And so instead of saying you should, sometimes we should also say I should. Instead of saying um, they should never do that, we should also say about ourselves, I should never do that as well. I'm simply saying be responsible, be accountable, be honest about yourselves, and face up to the problems. Look in that mirror, and what the mirror shows is what it shows. Now, I don't know about you ladies, but when I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, I don't like what I see in the mirror. I don't like what I see in the mirror at 8 o'clock in the morning. But I'm sure you ladies have a more sensitivity to how you look in the morning. I mean, am I right? Now look, you folks look at me like, oh no, we don't care about that. Yes, you do. I mean, I spend not even a minute looking in the mirror. Get a brush, comb my hair like that, I'm done. Wash my face, I'm done. My wife, bless her heart. She's a woman. So I, I think she's reflective of any woman who has uh, decency and they're concerned about how they look in public. So she takes care of herself, as you all would, and that's fine. I'm just simply saying, what you see is what you see. Whether you're pretty or you're not, that's what you see. Every time I look in the mirror, I see that scar over here. I'm thinking, oh man, I can't raise my eyebrow like that anymore. That's kind of difficult, you know. And I look at myself and say, hey, that eye is a little bit more, like shut, more shut than that eye. They both look shut anyway. <laughs> but this one's a little bit more like that now. And it's kind of, it's a funny sensation that I have, but I am seeing what I am seeing. I'm not going to pretend I got Caucasian eyes. I got Venetian blind eyes. And that's just the way it is. It's the genetics of the thing. And so you have to be honest about yourselves if you're going to change. A lady in the Salvation Army admitted herself, actually went to this program after being at Holly, Holly Keepley County by the District Park. And uh, just Thursday she went down, she got taken to uh, Salvation Army Manoa. And as we're talking, uh, she said, she's just talking like that, just reporting you, just on and on and on. Really interesting conversation. And she said, finally, she said, I finally got fed up with me being a dopehead. And I said, well, about time somebody's honest in this world. I got so sick and tired of being sick and tired of being a dopehead. And she said, I began to pay attention to what they tell me. And uh, when she faced up to herself and not blame other people, it wasn't because of my boyfriend, it was before. It wasn't because of my friends, it wasn't excuses before why she kept on doing the drugs. She said, when I realized that it was my accountability and my responsibility, I made the choices. When she faced up to it, she began to pay attention. She began to sober up, up here and she began to open up herself to truth to be a better quote person. Now, let's just accept that for what that is. Let's be grateful for what that is. Here's a person who was responsible to be accountable to herself, not blaming anybody else. A lot of guys in prison blame other people. Oh no, I'm not guilty, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. How many people say I didn't do that? But they did, but they did. Blame somebody else. And then they, you talk to them, they're always fussing and griping about, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, a big part of changing is that you admit that you are the one that is responsible if you are. And so uh, it, it wasn't me, Lord. It was the woman thou gavest me. 
wasn't me, Lord. It was that serpent. You know what that's about? It's called blame shifting. It's about blaming somebody else for what you decided to do. Let's stop doing that. Um, you have to face up to the truth. You have to be honest with yourselves. Number four. The fourth thing I want to pass on to you today about changing for real is um, uh, warnings. Warnings. Listen to the warnings. Come to Proverbs chapter 1. Listen to the warnings. Proverbs chapter 1. Real change happens, I believe, and I think this is to, to be true, that when you heed the warnings, you might change your direction, you might change a consequence, you might change something bad happening to you. Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 17. As the first chapter of Proverbs talks about accepting wisdom, treasuring wisdom as silver and gold, and so on. In verse number, let's begin at verse number 10. Verse number 10, 110. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Verse 11. If they say, come with us, lay, uh, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Verse number 15. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Verse 16. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. And verse number 17. Surely in vain their net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. 19. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Now, no person intends, no, no teenager, no young person, no, nobody intends to take someone's life. No one intends to hurt someone and defraud them of, of their livelihood or for anything that they have of value just because. But here's a young man being tempted to go with a group of guys, a gang, I would say, a gang of guys. They're in largest <coughs> category. Hey, look, look, we, want, we got to reform more. We want to invite you to come in our gang. Got to make six. We'll split it six ways, okay? We're going to get some stuff. Uh, we know about this 7-Eleven. Only got two Micronesian girls. They're just about teenagers. Two o'clock in the morning. We can go there easily. Without whatever. Whatever the situation is. Invitation to come and hurt someone. Defraud someone. Steal someone from someone. Hurt someone. This boy doesn't intend to do that. But wisdom is telling this kid, listen. If you go with these guys, here's what's going to happen. If you participate with them, here's what's going to happen. If you get in the ring with them, you're going to get beat up. You ever see Mike Tyson hit someone? Mike Tyson? Anyone who Mike Tyson is? He went to prison, you know, but Mike Tyson was a, a heavyweight boxer. Not a very big guy, but he was, he was. When he hit you, you knew he hit you. I have seen him hit people and they just get, they just, they, they get knocked out because of one hit. Now, when he goes, when he does that and you kind of block and he comes like that, hits you right up in the jaw like that, it is devastating. How can I explain to you how painful it is to get hit by a Mike Tyson? Now, also, I see uh, Tang is in mixed martial arts. Tang uh, has been in a, a, a competition professionally. He's a black belt kind of a guy. But um, when he goes to compete against locals, he does very well. Goes to San Diego, goes to California, competes against other people. He goes to Vegas, he always loses. They're always better on the mainland. The pool of, of players, the pool of talent is much smaller over here. Go up over there, you play against, you, you not play, but you fight against the best. They always come in second, third, fourth. They lose. They don't never win first, but they're very good. 
And some of the swimmers look so beat up, they look so, look like marshmallow faces, you know, here it all puffed up, black and blue, they can't even see out. It's devastating what happens. All people see is the glory of an event or of a sport, but they don't realize how hard it is and how, how painful it is. How painful it is to be in these. And the, the writer here, the, the Holy Spirit is writing in the name of wisdom, telling a kid, don't go here, don't walk with them, refrain thy foot from their path, their feet run to evil. Are you going to do evil? Do you want to do evil? The kid says, no, but, but that's what's going to Really? He's warning the kid, being warned. Verse 19, so are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Now that's a serious crime there. Capital punishment is going to happen for capital crimes. Oh, I didn't mean to shoot him. I didn't mean to do that. Well, you did it. But you never intended it in the beginning when you joined the gang. So warning, when a person is warned about dangerous consequences, if the person takes heed to that, that'll make a good change for him. He'll not send him to prison. He'll go to prison for sure if he's caught. He will get caught. You ever see this guy steal things from porches, these deliveries, these uh, cameras on the door, the door, they all little things. You see people coming up on the side stealing things on packages, Amazon packages all the time. Those guys always get caught. I was talking to a guy at Home Depot um, Saturday, <laughs> buying some paint. I told the guy at the checkout, which was a self-checkout, but there's also another self-checkout. I said, let me ask this question. What happens if I don't pay for these cans of paint? You know what he told me? Well, I can't stop you. I said, really? I can walk out of here, you won't stop me? He says, that's right, it's our policy. I said, no kidding, I said, that's a good policy. <laughs> I said, I'm gonna pay for it, but I said, that's not right. He says, it's not right, but what can we do? That's our policy. They're trying to protect us employees from people getting violent. I said, that's a bad policy. I said, hire some cops in the front of here, Maybe some ex-Marines or ex-somebody, not ex-Air Force. <laughs> Ex-Marines. And just stand there and look mean. All right, don't hire petite women that are cute. Hire rough looking guys. That's what you do. Anyway, um, consequences. If you fear the consequences, uh, as it is explained to you, rather than saying, well, it's up to you. You know, when people say it's up to you, it better be prefaced by information about what could happen either way before you let someone make up their own mind. It's up to you means nothing unless they have information about the issue. So if you go to this guy, here's what's going to happen. Then you can say it's up to you because really when it comes down to it, you will do what you want to do. You do what you're going to do no matter what anybody says. It comes down to that own choice that you make. But if you're given the information, you cannot say, well, no one told me, I didn't know. When people go to hell, People cannot say to God, well, I didn't know this. God's going to say, well, I, I sent someone to tell you about that. Remember back here in this state, in this place? And then I sent someone else to you over here when you was on vacation in Waikiki. And I sent somebody with the gospel track to you. And you just said, don't need that. You said this to that guy with the gospel track. You, you said this to him, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Well, here you are. You, you dissed my messengers. You dissed the gospel. You were told the consequences of rejecting my son. Now here you are. But if you had taken heed to that, it could have changed your eternal destination. Real change happens when you heed the warnings and you repent. Repentance, it'll change your life. Turn you at my reproof, verse 23 says, 
I'll pour up my spirit unto you. I'll make known my words unto you. And verse 33 tells us in the first chapter of Proverbs, But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. So you turn, you turn from, you turn to. So I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go with that game. I'm not going to participate in that because I'm afraid of the consequences. Have you, do you remember when people said, they had a slogan, no fear? No fear? Remember that? Was that in the 80s? No fear? It circulated. No fear. No fear. Well, can I tell you something? There are some things to fear. There are some things to fear. I fear, I fear getting a ticket from the cop on the highway because I don't want to throw away money because I was speeding. So that fear is very healthy. I respect the law and I won't, I won't break it because I fear what could happen. I fear bad drivers on the roads, so I'm very cautious. I'm checking my mirrors all the time. I'm looking at my head like this all the time. It's like a, like a bobblehead doll. I was looking around like that because I fear somebody not paying attention in their cars. I fear for my safety. I'm not paranoid, but I am fearful of the consequences, so I let that be a good motivation for me to be alert. If you don't fear anything, you're a foolish person. I don't fear anybody, really. I don't fear anything. Is that right? You ever see this guy jump off a cliff in these uh, wet fly suits? This whatever thing? They got a, a, a what do you call these camcorders? This um, GoPro thing on the helmet? They are thousands of feet up on a cliff in some foreign country and then they jump off and they begin to descend and then it begins to the, the air, the, it begins to catch in their little suit, you know, and they begin to float down and they're flying by like that like a rock being thrown out of, shot out of a slingshot. They're flying down, but they're floating. Then they'll pull their up cord and then they'll land down in the parachute ship. That's a dangerous sport. Dangerous sport. So another guy, he jumped off a cliff in some pond in the mainland, and I don't know, maybe 80 feet off, off, off the water. He jumps in, he does his somersault kind of thing. Skillful guy, athletic guy. He jumps in like that. Acapulco, guys jump off the cliffs, Acapulco. Ay, ay, ay. Ay, caramba. They jump off like that. I mean, they're confident, I'm sure. They're trained and everything. But man, that's a dangerous sport. The consequences would scare me. You know, one of the most famous Christians in our time, um, she's a teenager, 14 or 16. She jumped into a pond, a body of water, hit rocks, and she became a paraplegic for the rest of her life. Good Christian girl, not bitter against God, has a good testimony. But... Uh, I don't know if it wasn't there or not, she jumped in the water and the rest of her life is forever changed. I'm saying to you that if you take heed to the truth, practice the truth, and if you repent of sin, you, you, your life will be changed. Now, um, change can happen if you get serious about some things, and I hope most people do. Some people, I say that because some people, they don't want to change. Some people are miserable, but they are happy being miserable. I look at some people in this world and I think, your life could be so much better. But then I'm thinking, I'll bet their parents must have tried to help them or friends must have helped them. But even though that's just a guess, I'm thinking if I tried to help them, I'd probably fail helping them because some people just seem to not want any help. And in that kind of case, really it's hard to help anybody who doesn't want help. You cannot live for anybody else. Now this is not psychology, this is just common sense. How many people have you felt bad for and felt sorry for or wanted to 
uh, help them in practical things or even help them with the gospel, but they won't listen to you. What do you do if people don't listen to you? Not much. My, my PCP, my doctor, he says about his patients, he's got a lot of patients. I've had him for almost 20 years now. Good doctor, but Dr. Uyeno, I asked him one time, because he's very chatty, he likes to talk, and good guy. But he says, I was talking about something. He's, he's telling me, because he knows I'm a pastor, and this guy professes to be a Christian. He says, well, how are things going? I say, well, pretty good, but sometimes I get very distressed because people are stubborn, hard-headed, and they don't want any help. I can't help them. He says, well, let me tell you this. He says, I have a lot of patients that listen to me, and they're helped. I have some patients that are stubborn, and I can't help them. He says, but I still sleep good at night because I am a good doctor. I am a professional. I tell them what they should do. Here's what's going to happen to do what I say. It's going to happen if they don't what I don't, don't do what I say. But if they don't do, do what I say, do what I say, I sleep good because I've done my duty. I've done my job. It's up to them to do what I want. But I have so many patients to do what I want them to do for their own sake. And I'm happy because of that. I cannot feel bad for this guy who doesn't do what I say. They may not want to be healthy. And I can't change that. I can't change that. And some people you can never change because they don't want to change. They're content to be what they are. It's a sad way of living, but people live that way. So people can change if they're serious. Number six, change happens when you stick to commitments. Change happens when you stick to commitments. It's easy to start something, yes. Easy to start something. I'm gonna lose weight. I'm gonna go on a diet. My in-laws, bless their heart. Randy Cab, oh, former Marine, he deserved to get uh, all the snacks he could get after his, uh, after his, in, in his retirement, and he did, <laughs> put on a lot of weight. He was so slim at one time, when he was active as a young Marine, he looked like Elvis, as young Elvis. He had the curly, he had the long black hair, and the way he smiled in the little black light Polaroid picture, he looked like a young Elvis. He does, or he did. But then, after active duty, put on a lot of weight. Job, required a lot of sitting down on heavy equipment, put on a lot of weight. And uh, of course, in Vietnam, exposed to Asian Orange, a lot of health problems attached to that. But also, habits as a retired Marine caught up with him. Soon, he was seeing the doctors a lot, many doctors, many pills. He would carry around uh, a bag, of, a Walmart bag, plastic bag with all these containers of pills. And uh, whenever I was around with him, his wife Nancy would always remind him, okay, it's time to take these pills. And they stop and open up and take out three or four containers and shake out so many pills that he would take them. Another two, three hours, more set of pills to take. He would carry bags of pills with him, a bag of pills with him. And so his, his health really went downhill uh, after he retired from the Marine Corps. Um, and then they got ambitious to lose weight together. Good for them, did things together. So they joined Weight Watchers. Have you ever heard of Weight Watchers? For some people, it's just watching their weight. <laughs> Watching their weight. But they went to the program, brought the meal packets and everything, ate certain meals and come, the whole thing. Went to the meeting to get encouraged and all that. It went on for two months. And after two months, it began to diminish pretty soon. Oh no, this program's coming. I gotta watch this show. I can't miss this one. Missed the meeting. Okay, they went to the next meeting. And then pretty soon they began to not go to the meetings. So here's what I'm trying to explain. They started out pretty good. They lost a few pounds. They were so proud. But they didn't follow through. 
They didn't stick to their commitments. This is not a criticism of, I love my, my in-laws. Good people, really good people. It's just on the one point of sticking to commitments, they did not. And they felt really guilty. They thought they had wasted their money and so on like that. But you got to stick to your commitments if you want to have real change. Ecclesiastes says this, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. Well, if you make a commitment to do something, if it's good, why don't you stick to it if you want to change? Some people change because they make a commitment, they make a vow to themselves or to their spouses, and they stick to it, and they're held accountable, and they keep on going until they meet their goals, whatever those goals are. I'm just trying to tell you, you must stick to your commitment. And uh, don't just, um, don't just uh, start and then finish so soon. Uh, an honorable person, man, sticks to his commitments. And so these things result in new change, uh, real change. Now, if you want to have a better habit, it takes a while to get a new habit. You want to stop something, replace it with something good. Now, the third, the seventh thing I want to give to you is the last one, is encouragement. Encouragement. First Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us this, edify one another. First Thessalonians 5, 11, edify one another. Hebrews 10, 25 says, provoke, provoke, meet together to provoke unto love and to good works. Provoke one another. Ephesians 4, 29 tells us, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. Okay, that's a good verse. Ephesians 4, 20 is a good verse. What you say has a bearing upon people, and if a person is going to be encouraged to change, he needs to have encouraging words, that words are edifying to him. So he tells the Christian, don't say words that are corrupt, words don't communicate like that but say words that are good to the use of edifying building up building up that it may minister grace to the hearer edifying building up minister well that tells me that words have have influence they influence someone to change by encouraging them to keep doing what they should be doing uh, I have a saying with Samuel. Samuel is a second grandson. He likes to paint, he likes to draw. He's pretty good, he's a natural. He has God-given perception and aptitude for art. He can paint acrylics, he can draw. He's very good. Matthew's very good. Matthew has a natural ability to draw. Matthew's more creative. He can bring concepts to paper with pencil. Samuel can copy a picture, and make it pretty realistic. You should see the paintings he's done on canvas panels. It looks pretty good. He'd come up to me, he'll do this. Grandpa, what do you think? Well, here I am trying to encourage him to keep painting to do better, okay? Because his, his artwork is pretty amateurish because he's an amateur. And so I say this to him. I say, good, better, best. He said, so which one is it? I say, good. It could be better. You do this. Samuel, it's pretty good for your age. It's pretty good for not having any training or any kind of tutoring. It's pretty good, but it could get better. He walked away like this. Like he wanted me to fall all over him and kiss him and say, what a Michael Angelo, oh, Rembrandt, oh boy. I won't say that to him. It'll discourage him. It'll, it'll kill his enthusiasm to learn and to do better. Every time he comes about the painter drawing, Grandpa, look at this. And then he'll say this to me. I know, good, could be better. I say, right. Good, 
better best. I'm trying to pump him to say, not bad for a 14 year old, but it could get better. And one day it's gonna be the best. I'm pushing him to not take it, like he's getting everything so easy. He's gotta be challenged. He's gotta be motivated to do better. And with every uh, succeeding piece of art, it gets better. Why don't you add this to the eagle? Here, watch this. And then he'll continue doing that. And then he'll come back, Grandpa, look. And I'll say, guess what, Samuel? I know, good, could get better. It's not the best, I say, you're right. And he go like this. I said, stop rolling eyes at me. I hate when boys roll their eyes at me. I said, look, you're doing pretty good, but it could get better, all right? Oh, man, you never give me any praise. I am giving you praise, this realistic praise. I'm trying to edify you. I'm trying to keep you humble. I'm trying to get you to see there's a lot more to learn. And you will learn it on this track that you're on. You're going to do really good. You're going to be a great artist one of these days. And you remember what I told you. And when you get rich, you're going to send me, you're going to send me some money because I really am helping you. Stick to it. Give it encouragement. Now, I wouldn't say to him, I would never say to him, I would never say to him this. Now, you know how Ethan, Ethan draws like this. This is Ethan. I'm using my opposite hand. So, this is better than Ethan draws, but Ethan draws a picture of Grandma. And she'll, he'll come up this. Grandma, 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 Grandma. Look. She'll say, oh, is that for me? And he'll go, uh-huh. And she'll say, Who's that? And he'll say, you. You know what grandma does? Grandma can say one or two things. She can have corrupt communication come out of her mouth or she can say words that are edifying that ministers to him. So she'll say, she'll say, I can't believe that's me. That doesn't look like me. What, is that how my hair look, Ethan? Ethan's only five. Is that how my hair looks, Ethan? Ethan, is that the shape of my Ethan, that is so horrible. What is wrong with you? Do you hate me? You shall make me feel... She doesn't say that at all. She says, oh, Ethan, thank you. That is, that is, that is, that is, thank you. <laughs> she will not tell the honest truth because if she told the honest truth, if that was her policy, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, she would crush his spirit to draw. Do you see that? She would crush his incentive to draw more and to be more affectionate. He's showing affection by doing this. And if she was honestly about the whole honest about the whole thing, she would he would never draw another picture of her. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible says, no corrupt communication, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister gracefully to the five-year-old kid. That's what that's about. And if you want your wife to be happy, you want your husband to be happy, just tell, say things that are edifying. It doesn't mean you never rebuke anybody. Boy, do those grandkids need rebuking every once in a while. And do they get it from grandpa? The other day, I realized this. They are afraid of me, they're scared of me, and they don't like me sometimes. Here's how I know. I want to take three kids to ride in my car to go do an errand. So I said, Christian, I'm gonna run an errand. I can take three kids with me. Whoever you say can come. You know what she said? Nobody wants to ride with you. 
and nobody was around with me, I thought, wow, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> if I said, we're going to go to Chick-fil-A, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. But I didn't say that. I said, you want to go ride? Nobody took me up on that. Oh, that made me feel so bad. Not really. But um, as, a, as, a, as a principal, you have to rebuke once in a while. You have to scold once in a while. But most of the time, people do need some edification with your words. Um, let me make it real practical and then I'll stop. Because I do want people to change before, before the rapture, before they die. Uh, and the words that we use are, are considerably powerful and effective. Oh, what are you doing here? Why would you say that to someone who hasn't been in church for a long time? Oh, what are you doing here? Uh, is that edifying? <laughs> no, the guy wanted to, the guy's making an effort to come back to church and you're saying something negative like that. Oh, what are you doing here? That'd be a really foolish thing to say to somebody. I mean, it's true because it's a surprise. Now, some people I know who should be in church after missing for such a long time, and from what I can see, it's just avoiding, avoiding, if, I, if that be the truth, but they make up to come to church. I'm not going to say, oh, where have you been? I'll be saying something more like I'm glad to see you because I am. You see how, how we should have some sense about these things? And so people do change when they are encouraged. Uh, Anna is trying to cook now. Oh, had a youth activity one day, and Anna said, oh, I can cook, I can cook, I can cook. Well, Anna doesn't cook as good as Miranda. So she got something downstairs. It was uh, some kind of vegetable thing in a batter. Uh, and I said, what is that? I think it was not okra, but um, uh, this long skinny vegetable, long and skinny. Uh, what's that word I'm looking for? Zucchini? No, it's long asparagus. and skinny. Asparagus! Asparagus and batter. The batter is dry, like powder. Like. And I said, have you done this before? She said, uh-huh. I took her word for it. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, you don't have to mix. No, I know, I know what I'm doing. And the other girls with her was like, okay. So they began to cook that on the stove. I didn't eat it because it was horrible. And I said, don't you need oil? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm asking these questions if you know how to do this. So they go through the whole process. After 20 minutes, it's ready to be to given to, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. Now, I could have told Anna this. I could have said, Anna, don't ever do that again. Anna, next time, if you're gonna do something, make sure you know how to do it, okay? That was horrible. I could have said that because it was horrible. But I didn't say that to her because I wanted to edify her and help her to do better next time. This is a simple explanation or example of how you and I can help people change by, by, by encouraging them, by being honest with them, by encouraging them. Last story, may I? First married, my wife, my wife made me a, a fancy dinner at home when I was living on Nuala Avenue. <laughs> Joe, listen to this one. She got spam. She got spam. She cut it in chunks, put it in the oven, 
on a skewer with pineapple. Pineapple chunks with spam chunks in the oven. Okay? And she took it out and she was so proud of it. She was so happy. She was so pleased that I was going to be pleased. And so it's time to sit down at the table. She said, look what I got. And she just beamed like a shisher cat. She said, look. And she was so happy. I looked at that. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is that? Spam chunks on the skewered pineapple chunks. She was so proud. She had her apron. She was so proud. I mean, she was so happy that and she thought I'd be pleased. You know what I did? I faked it. I said, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Look at that. That is so, that is so, um, that, <laughs> that is so special. <laughs> and it was tasty. But she was so proud as a young wife that she made something that she thought pleased me. I could have said something pretty cruel in all honesty. But I didn't. Because I had enough sense at the time to say words to her that would encourage her. Because I wanted to be a better homemaker, a better cook, things like that. And she wanted to become a better one. But it was not the time for her to be criticized for that. She meant well. And so, um, just say words that are encouraging. Now, when you come to church, if all you hear in church is, you better not, you better not, don't, don't, don't. If that's all you hear, that's kind of out of balance, don't you think? I think so. When you come to church, all you hear is, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. If that's all you hear, you got to have some balance about that. And so there's a time for everything under the sun. And most people have a rough week or have a week of regular life. They've got stuff going on they don't tell anything about. I know that. And um, they need to have the truth given to them so they can apply the truth to their lives. But they need to feel like they have gotten some edification so that they can try again. Good, better, best. People need to feel that. I hate to tell you that people need to feel certain things and people will not change unless they feel certain things. It sounds like heresy, but that is the truth. I will change about an issue. I will do better about an issue if someone confronts me, but they don't, they don't act like they're lecturing me. I hate people lecture me. When my wife says to me, honey, why'd you do that? I already get defensive. My wife tells me, why did you tell that person that? Why did you say that? You shouldn't have said that. Now, she may not mean anything by that, but if she tells me that, I get defensive by that. Or if she says, honey, that was so good. Did you mean this when you said that? No, see, I'm off guard. I'm going to receive what she's telling me. Because she's not trying to put me down. She's trying to help me. And I like when my wife tries to help me. I don't object to that. But when I feel like she's trying to be a blessing to me and trying to edify me with her words, she's trying to minister to me, I take everything she says as if, okay, good, good. Yeah, I should. I know, uh, I'm open to that. But, you know, my wife has a tendency, and I'm not criticizing my wife. I'm just trying to explain something here. My wife is kind of plain, just like that. She tells you what she thinks. And sometimes it gets on my nerves. That's a southern expression. Gets on my nerves. And sometimes uh, I'll say, and then or I'll do, and she'll say, now she doesn't do this, but she'll say, honey, why did you say that? I say, what? Why did you say that to that? I said, because I did. Well, that might have made, well, that person needed it, I thought. Well, <laughs> and she'll talk like that to me. Now, she'll do this sometimes, and I'll feel bad, but I'll get over it. A lot of the time, she's just real nice to me. And she'll say things to me that uh, uh, to, to encourage me because she knows I need it. So, thumbs up to my wife.
And I try to do that to her. Because I know with the load that she carries and the burden she has with a lot of different things, uh, everything that's on her mind, I, I try to be nice to her with my words because I want to encourage her to do better. She is all over the place. You should see our house. Maybe you should. All this piece of furniture I'm talking about, it's all over the place. It's like a warehouse. I can't have you come over to my house. It's like a warehouse. But it's all going to be over soon as we get to these projects. But I don't ever tell her things that makes her feel bad unnecessarily because I want to help her to change. So those are seven things I want to pass on to you. Hopefully it's helpful. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your people that are open to the truth. And I pray that you bless them, help them, Lord, to look at themselves and not always find fault with others without them finding fault themselves. May we stick to the things that we should do and see it to the end so that we can change in some personal things. Most of all, Lord, help us to follow you and do what you say by faith. We don't want to be the same people as we were last year. We want to be better people. We want to be people that are being changed and conformed to the image of your son. We want to change in our character, be better in character, better in integrity, better in our patience, better in our, our temper, our anger, our bitterness, all of these things that drain us and give us grief and give others grief, we need to change. Not in a humanistic way, but in a spiritual godly way. So help us to obey what the Bible says. Change your people so that their relationship with you would be better and their relationship with others would be better as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.